Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jeremy Weiss here, host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Michelle, I always like to mention some past guests people can check out. We have some really cool guests, including today's guest, which I'll introduce in a second. But um, we had David Allen of Getting Things Done. Um, I've read his book many times. And uh, Michael Gerber of The E-Myth and many, many more. So check out more episodes. Um, this episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. So if you've had team members ask you the same questions over and over again, and it may be the 10th time you spent explaining it, Michelle, I always like to say there is a better way. There is actually a solution. Um, Sweet Process is a software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with existing staff. And I was talking with the founder, Owen, not only do universities, banks, hospitals, and software companies use them, but first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations to run their operations. So you can use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time. So you can focus on growing your team and doing what your company does best. So sign up for a free 14-day trial. No credit card is required. Go to sweetprocess.com. It's sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process.com. Today, we have Michonne Pinnix, and she has over 18 years of experience in strategy, corporate development, commercial operations. When I was reading up on you, Michonne, I was like, everyone considers themselves a slacker compared to what you've done <laughs> and worked on. And I want to call you master, but you won't let me. But <laughs> Michonne has been serving as an executive at Chimera Bioengineering, and which we're going to talk about, uh, working on controls for cell and gene therapy and solid tumors. She's been instrumental in their fundraising partnership efforts and as well as building out their operations and strategy. And she received her undergraduate degrees in chemistry and chemical engineering through a dual program with Spelman College and Georgia Tech, and went on to obtain her advanced degree in fluid mechanics from Stanford and MBA from Harvard Business School. So we have no slacker on the line here. So um, Michonne, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. You know, we're going to dig deep and I, I want to, you'll talk about partnerships. We'll talk about recruiting and retaining with, you know, with the umbrella of diversity, equity, inclusion. But I wanted you to start with what is Chimera, a little bit more about what Chimera does. Okay, so we um, are in the fight against cancer. So um, I always tell people that we supercharge a patient's immune cells uh, to fight a cancer. So think of um, us as, uh, you know, um, lowly human beings. And what our control technology does is it puts um, Superman powers onto a regular human being. And then our controls help that human being control the superpower so it doesn't overwhelm this um, lowly human. So does it signal um, to attack the tumor where it is instead of other cells of the body? Exactly. Oh, so you know a little bit about cell and gene therapy. Yeah, so what we're doing is we, we have the chimeric antigen receptor that um, has been in the news uh, for the past couple of years. So we have that, that part of the therapy. And then we put on um, using RNA and regulatory controls, which I'm sure you've heard about now with COVID and all the different RNA sequences. But we actually use the RNA 
to control when a therapeutic is released. So our control uh, finds its way to the target, which is just the, the, the cancer itself. And it differentiates between a normal uh, tissue cell and this cancer cell. And then once it gets to the cancer, it then releases uh, an additional payload or therapy in addition to the CAR-T that can actually break through the, the walls of the tumor mm. and, and get inside and, and hopefully um, help it, get, help it uh, get killed. Yeah, what I, what I visualize, and you could correct me, is I kind of visualize a heat-seeking missile Yes. That basically, because the, the, you know, the issue with cancer treatments is it attacks healthy. I mean, a lot of kind of conventional cancer treatments is it attacks healthy cells and, you know, the cancer cells to hopefully kill off enough of the cancer cells for the body to fight itself. But this is a really kind of a heat seeking missile approach. Exactly. And, and the one other um, layer I would put on there is sometimes, um, you have to worry about the cancer attacking healthy cells, but sometimes you have to worry about your healthy cells attacking the treatment. So remember, your immune system is there to surveil and make sure that there's no foreign obstacles in the way. So you think about people having allergies at springtime. Your body thinks that the pollen is, is you know, a foreign invader and, and attacks. So it's the same thing with, uh, with cancer in the immune system. So our controls are not only heat-seeking, but they're also um, dodging some of the surveillance of our own immune system by it's almost like a, by having an invisible cloak. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And if you check out um, people can check out when, when I say chimera, it's C H I M E R A dot bio. Yes. And there is a amazing, crazy looking technology that is green and purple and you should check it out <laughs> on the, on the web, on their website. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, with this, this is like just as cutting edge stuff with, yeah. with cell therapies. And I love for you to talk about, you know, along the way you've pivoted and that those pivots have created new uses and more tools. So yeah. talk about some of the, the pivot points and then what some of those new tools you've been able sure. to create. So the company was founded five years ago with something called a ribozyme switch, so we were thinking of how do you turn the therapy on and then off? Um, the problem with our original technology um, that, was, that came out of Christina Smolke's lab was that it was leaky. So when it was off, it was still kind of um, uh, secreting things that you didn't want to be secreted. So along the way, we ended up uncovering um, a gene regulatory node that could actually work with the endogenous, and by endogenous, it works with the natural system of the cell to turn on at the appropriate time and then turn off or dial down. So our pivot really was going from a switch on and off to then going to something that kind of had a more nuanced uh, knob along with it. Hmm. Talk about the genesis of forming this company, okay? Because I know you, in some of the team members, I know I was looking at Ben Wang and Gus Ziner, some of the, what, why did this, why did they create this company? So this company was created out of passion and out of love. So Ben Wang and, and Gus Ziner met on their own personal cancer journey. So Ben Wang's wife uh, was diagnosed with, with AML and Gus Ziner was diagnosed with MDS and they met uh, while undergoing treatment uh, for their respective diseases. And, and unfortunately, um, Kim passed away um, in, you know, earlier in the year mm. and, and Gus is Sorry still to hear eight that. years cancer free. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Ben was, it was sad. He was actually an entrepreneur doing startup in, in the tech space. 
And Gus was working in, in a lab at Agilent on something completely different from cancer. And he said, you know, now that I've, you know, kicked cancer in the butt, you know, I think I want to work on something that's valuable. Like I want to do something with my life that, that I've been given, that I've been gifted after this cancer uh, diagnosis. So he went and dragged Ben out of his uh, sadness and grief and said, let's take your startup money um, and let's take my, um, my experience with RNA biology and, 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 and F cancer, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so they started the company um, just <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a napkin um, at a restaurant in San Jose that has like some nasty barbecue. I'm plant-based. So I don't eat that crap, but they love it. Uh, they, we call it Chimera South. Well, but, you, uh, you've been so in they, Texas too. So you can't say those words if you've been I in know. Texas. I've so. lived in Texas and I, and yeah. I know that my uh, former uh, friends and-, and You'd be shunned brother, if you, you know, rag on barbecue there. So. Oh my gosh. My, yeah. my brothers and, and family are in Texas now and they would probably uh, shoot me for saying that barbecue is gross, exactly. but- uh, but yeah, so the company was founded by two people who had fought cancer. Um, one person lost and the other person is still winning to this day. And so it's, um, it's a beautiful story. It's actually why I joined the company. It's because of um, the passion and the energy that these two men um, have put towards this, this cause. I mean, and also it doesn't, doesn't hurt that they're probably the most intelligent people I've ever met. But, uh, it's not common that you see someone forming a company like this on a napkin. You know, I, you, I visualize software companies, but not necessarily a self-therapy company. No, these guys, yeah. Many napkins and, and beers were drank uh, coming up with this company. You know, you talk about the mission and that's why you joined the company. It kind of relates to what we were going to talk about, re- recruiting and retaining. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about um, what attracts how to best recruit and retain. And we can start off with kind of maybe mission and, and other things you feel is important. Well, I think, you know, you, you want to recruit people who are aligned with your mission and who are aligned with the values, because at the end of the day, people come to a company because of the, you know, the marketing or, or the jazz or the sexiness, right? But people tend to stay because of the people. Um, it's very, very rare that people say, oh, I left because... I, I don't align with the science or I don't align with the mission. It really comes down to, oh, um, I left because my boss sucks or because there are a lot of, you know, jerks that, that work in the company. So I think for, for us, you know, getting people in the door is really, here's our story. We're fighting cancer. It's selling gene therapy. It's sexy. It's hot. Um, but really keeping people is, is where that inclusiveness comes in, where everyone feels like they belong to the tribe. What do you find is important in the recruiting piece? Oh, God. I mean, the, the biggest thing I think is, um, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm even, I'm even going to say this, um, is, um, is, is someone's objective function. Uh, and hopefully this recording will not go to Ben Wang because he says this all the time. I mean, it, it's, you know, what are people looking to get out of life? Like, what is their, their purpose? Right. Um, and I think when I think of the and our, we have a team of 16 folks and I when I think of everyone that's on our team, um, we, we haven't lost any like everyone who leaves either leaves to go to school or to go be a philosopher or something. Right. It's mm-hmm. people who want to do something bigger in this world. Right. And, and a lot of people say that. Um, but that's really the, the first step is like, how do you you want to be part of something great? You want to be part of a company that's 
feels like a family, uh, which, you know, we can talk about <laughs> balancing being a family uh, versus having a more professional culture. But uh, we definitely um, have a strong sense of loyalty, a strong sense of belonging um, and a strong sense of the mission. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious your advice on this part. So I could totally see like if you're in a purpose driven company, mission based, especially if you're fighting cancer and you're creating these cutting edge gene therapies or cell therapies, I could see that. What would you say to someone who is, I just create a widget or something, you know, it's not as really, I mean, it's baked into the DNA, no pun intended of this company. Yeah. What would you say to someone who doesn't have that? It's like totally obvious with what you do, but like yeah, I just I sell a widget. I, oh, that that's a good question. Um, I'm just thinking about my career uh, and some of the places that I've worked. Yeah. I've always, I've always felt like there is a, a bigger purpose, right? I mean, DuPont, it's, I mean, <laughs> We're making coatings for uh, people's boats and the solar panels, right? Um, I, I did some consulting projects for some consumer products around shampoo and conditioner, which, you know, it's important to me. Um, you know, I think. So maybe making people feel good about themselves or something like that. Right. Like, I mean, fighting cancer is, is obviously like I win in terms of things to do for fighting, you know, the purpose, right? But I think that there can be a sense of purpose and 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 making people feel beautiful, you know, with, with yeah. skincare products and consumer products. I think, oh, you know, widgets can help enable, um, you know, devices for um, helping people get around, whether it's you know wheelchair yeah. for disabled folks or disadvantaged folks, or it yeah. or if it's just creating um, a piece of equipment that's going to help um, automate a process that's very labor intensive for people, right? So it's just kind of finding that purpose and teasing it out. Um, but then again, not everybody is um, purpose-driven, right? Some people are driven by money or what I like to call coin-op, right? And, and that's okay too. Um, it just depends on what you're, what you're trying to get out of and pull out of your, of your team. Yeah. But I think with any product, I just wanted to bring that up because people may be thinking, well, what I think there's always an application, like even with your DuPont and you yeah. worked at, you know, on, on the Teflon stuff, you yeah. could arguably say, I help men and women not get frustrated when they're cooking to help feed their family. I don't know. There's always something right. you can, you can yeah, create. Exactly. It's exactly. not going to be like fighting cancer maybe, but yeah. there's, there's some I great. Cancer, like, I feel like I'm winning right now. Like I was like, oh, kind of a big deal. Cause I'm fighting cancer. Um, but I mean, like when I was at DuPont, I mean, I was there for five years. Uh, I worked gosh in at a plant in, in Orange, Texas. And, and then I went to Wilmington, Delaware. And I got to tell you, I was excited about working there too. I was like, you know, you know, DuPont, people can't have a bad name about the environment, but look at all the ways that we're doing. Um, we actually put measures in place for, you know, protecting the air and, you know, deep water, you know, deep water wells and deep wells, things like that. And I remember when I left thinking, you know, these Teflon films are helping create photovoltaic um, panels for renewable energy. So it's like solar energy. Uh, you know, it's going to be the next thing where people are going to have solar panels on their on their rooftops and not have to use other forms of energy. So, you know, you can you can twist that. You you can you can frame it 
so that you're you're purposeful in anything you do. Yeah. Let's talk about the diversity, equity, inclusion piece. I mean, it's one of my favorites. I just, I'm going to just throw it out there and let you, you chat about it. Um, because I mean, it, it's always important, but now it's just, it's just come to the forefront of, yeah. um, everything in, yeah. in society, uh, based on what is happening in the world. And now it's not that subtle thing. It's just, it's like right in front of everyone's face all the time. Yeah. So what, um, how does that, the recruiting retaining talk about it under the diversity, equity, inclusion umbrella. I mean, I got to say, what again, <laughs> being a woman of color, obviously non-white. Um, if you're watching the video, I have, yes. I, mean, I don't know if, you're, if you noticed, um, but I mean, this is something I've dealt with for the past 18 years, right? And this is something that my, my mother, my father dealt with um, in, in the 70s and 80s. So um, I am really um, hopeful about this opportunity with DEI. Um, I know, I mean, I guess. Talk about, just expand on dealt with for a second and what you yeah. mean. I mean, there there are systemic barriers that are in place um, within, within the United States, honestly, within the world, right? Um, I can speak to the United States because that's uh, where most of my jobs have been. But there there are barriers in place that that prevent people from, from moving up. And it's not something that's necessary, necessarily very obvious. Um, you know, and like some of the examples that I give, so I was, um, when I was consulting on a project, um, my name could be a masculine name, and this is more of a, a woman's slant of dealing with something. Um, when we had a project and we were going to this uh, this company's, you know, kind of meet and greet, and we get there, and um, the meet and greet was at an establishment that I would not was at a gentleman's club that I would not feel comfortable. A gentleman's club. A gentleman's club, right. And I, I was like, oh, so there are women there, um, but all the other women were topless. And I felt extremely uncomfortable. There was a, wait, back up for There's yeah. a meeting at a gentleman's club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then- Like night, a business was, meeting. Like a business meeting. And I'm, I'm relatively young. This happened, like, this is this is in the 2000s. So yeah. um, talk about an awkward moment. Uh, and- what was uh, sadly, I felt like I was, I felt more uncomfortable than anyone else there. And when I came back and when I reflect on this moment, I'm like, they should have been super uncomfortable. They should have been really like, what the heck? Who has a meeting at a gentleman's club? Apparently, uh, this company does. And this is a boys, boys club, right? Wow. Yeah. And, um, I excused myself and one of the partners at the company also, um, went home with me. Um, and I ended up, and the way it was dealt with, we didn't lose the client. They kept meeting. I just was no longer on that project. So that was an opportunity for me to, um, I could have added value to the project, but instead of rocking the boat, we just removed the the awkward situation, which was me, right? And so that- Instead that of evaluating why are we having a meeting in a gentleman's club? Right, exactly. So, why go, so not going to the source of the issue- basically putting a patch on it. Right. And so I think when, when women are, when, um, you know, marginalized communities uh, are put in these awkward positions, usually the easiest way for someone to deal with it is just to remove that one person or remove uh, Mm. those two people are just, you know, kind of politely step around something. But then over time, there's a cumulative effect where I'm not getting the same experiences that um, Dan is going to get because he's a male, 
are that someone's going to get because they're like, oh, you know, black people don't like to to ski. So we're not going to invite invite her because I don't want her to feel uncomfortable. Right. So a lot of those just making a lot of assumptions and, you know, stereotyping. Yeah. Right. And so I think, you know, to 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 have to do people have you found people say that Michelle outward or is it like like (laughs) in that situation have people actually said that outwardly or is it more just yeah we're not going to invite you and it's read in between the lines so I don't I don't think and this is just my personal opinion I don't think that people intentionally um leave out folks or exclude people I think it's just, I mean, it kind of goes into the, and I've talked about this with Chimera, like how we are a tribe. We all belong together, right? Um, and that's a wonderful thing. And it's great to be part of a community. But what ends up happening when you put together a belonging or an in-group is that there's someone that's being left out. And so you have to be really hyper aware of the people that you're leaving out. So kind of circling back to this, this, you know, this idea around recruiting, right? Everyone's like, oh, you want to work with people that you know. Um, you want to work with people that you're comfortable with are, you know, you, cause if you know someone, you know how they're going to respond and how they'll deal in situations. The problem with that is that who, you know, especially when you're in an insular bubble, um, it excludes people on the outside. that are not getting that chance. So, um, you know, one of the things that we do at Chimera, aside from the, Oh, who do we know? It's also making sure that we open source all of our, all of our positions. Yeah. I mean, going out like things like LinkedIn, for instance, right, where you're able to use social media to um, get to the masses is, I think, one way to um, get rid of the um, the hiring uh, barriers. The yeah. There's no one in the pipeline. It's like a bubble, sort right. of. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, in, in this country, you know, most people live in in very segregated neighborhoods. Um uh, most people, you know, we work like even uh, at our incubator space. I've been there three and a half, four years. And there was a time, I mean, I was the only black person in, in the building, right? So you have to open up your, in order to recruit, you've got to open up the uh, the boundaries, open up the borders um, and open up uh, how you're looking at things. It's not about who you know. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts on how companies can be better about this. Cause even if you go to big metropolitan cities, like, you know, I'm in Chicago, you know, it's very diverse, but it's very sick. I mean, people live in neighborhoods, you know, you can go to little Italy you can go to, you know, different areas of town and people live with the people they're comfortable with or around the people they're comfortable with. So it's still, you know, no matter how progressive or large city, it still happens all the time. And I don't think you can top Michelle, that story about the gentleman's club, oh, you yes. know, I, uh, but I mean, no remo- that's, that's- removing someone from an awkward situation yeah. instead of getting to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, how can companies be better? So you mentioned, you know, broadening it on social media and LinkedIn. So it just, mm-hmm. it gets away from people's individual network, which may be just more of a bubble of society. What else can people do to be better about the diversity, equity, inclusion? I mean, I think we can also recruit from from colleges and universities um, that are either historically black or have a tendency to have a, um, a larger population of Asian um, or international. I mean, when, when you think about diversity, it's not just a black and white issue, right? Um, it's also um, 
it's also LGBTQ, it's, it's um, you know, Asian, it's Latin X. I mean, it's like, how do you, you go to where those people are, or where those people are being educated and, and pull them and then give them a network of support and an infrastructure once they get into the company to feel valued? Yeah. What else? So I like that. I mean, basically go because there's top people at all universities. So you can mm-hmm. pretty much recruit from from anywhere, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, I could tell you, um, you know, at Harvard Business School, I mean, there are 56 out of the 900 students that come in a year are um, are black. Right. That's. That's a stupidly small amount of, of students. Right. But where do they go recruit? HBS goes to Spelman College, like where I went to school. They goes to Hampton University and to Howard University. I mean, there are a lot of schools that are producing really top quality candidates. Um, they just need to go and say, hey, come here um, and get them into those programs. I mean, I think the other, um, the other thing about recruiting, I find that there, there, there are a lot of programs to recruit, um, but I find that there are not as many programs to retain right? And to promote within. And, you know, just like when you think about someone being brought up to be a, to being groomed, to being a CEO, you need to groom people, right? You need to meet them where they are and help them along the way. And I think that's probably the, um, you know, the, the biggest challenge that we're having now. And, and in addition to like those systemic barriers, it's really the, you know, making, you know, you bring the diversity in, but then also how do you make them feel included and like they belong and that they have a voice? So how do you do that? And I want to comment on that for a second, because it's, it's like a chicken and the egg, right? If you don't recruit okay. properly, then and you don't have the diversity of the recruiting. Well, then you bring people in, they're not going to feel comfortable. So um, just naturally. So if you, yeah. you can't have one without the other, I, I see it. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, I mean, most like even in our company, so, like if you think about Chimera as a whole, and I actually wrote this down for you because I was like, oh, I need to think about this. I mean, we're 44% women. We are 25% Black, 25% Asian. 31% of our company um, identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And 13% of our company is international. And when I think about those stats, and I think about the people who come in. When they come in, they see someone that looks like them. Right. So that representation matters. And 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 yes, it's hard to be one of the first, but you just have to stay long enough so that you can bring other people in. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then even when our in our executive ranks, you know, 50 percent of our executives are, are are women. So, I mean, you talk about how do you how do you keep people once they get there? It's it's really about um, like putting in the effort. And I'm going to throw a question back to you. Have you ever been somewhere where you were the only male or somewhere where you were the only, uh, I'm assuming that you're white, but uh, are you the only white man in, in the room? Oh yeah, totally. Like, I mean, how does that, how does that feel? And, and what did you do to feel more comfortable? Um, I mean, I think also like by religion, I'm Jewish. And so I've definitely been in areas where I have felt uncomfortable, um, uh-huh. even though maybe people wouldn't know it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, you know? So I've definitely been in, in situations where um, it felt uncomfortable, you know? How did you- I mean, that in that situation, I'm like, how can I get out of here as quickly as possible? Okay. 
exactly exactly so like what is it like is there anything that people could have done to make you feel more comfortable um i don't i don't know um necessarily because if you're listen if you're in a group in a setting in a public place like even if one person does it's still the whole environment right Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. Yeah. Know? Um, it's definitely possible, but I, I don't know if I would stick around long enough to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that, I mean, there is, I mean, it's, it's back to your example of the chicken and the egg. Right. And it's like, it's, it's not. And, and I found like for myself, um, you know, my, my secret talent, my, uh, my superpower as uh, one of my co-founders likes to say is that, I'm really good at like reading the room and and working with people. But because I was a military brat and I was constantly moving, I was always the new kid. I, I've developed this power to adapt to different situations and to kind of push through my discomfort. And I think now with this new movement with DEI, now we're finally at a place where like, okay, how do we get white people to help marginalized people feel more comfortable and not have to put all of the, responsibility on that that one lone jewish guy or that one lone person right yeah i mean Um, to answer your question michelle like i think i think if i'm in like a setting like that and i think let's say there's a group of people mm -hmm. um whatever setting i'm in you know that represents that setting if they pulled me into the group and like we're like super friendly and nice and Mm -hmm. And everything that I would feel more like I have a group that I'm with in the in the broader group. So I think if that happened, I would totally make oh cool like these people are super nice and they they you know they're they're here and they're friendly and and that would make me feel comfortable personally. You know, I mean, and that's that's exactly right, right? So kind of you know, I'm slowly, maybe I'm being Socratic, maybe I'm just being provocative. I don't know, but um, I found I'm playing along with you. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, in my world. Um, I think one of the things to do is, you know, you know, find the similarities, like one, bring the person in, like it's, it's my responsibility and it's, you know, the other people at Chimera's responsibility to bring those other, to bring the people in to say, Hey, you belong here. And, and the way that I do that is by looking for the similarities, like, Oh, you have curly hair. I have curly hair. We both like sci-fi books, whatever it is. It's by kind of finding those common links and then pulling them together and letting everyone else find the common links. But then it's also working on something together. So if you think about like a, a volleyball team or a football team or something like that, I played sports in college. And the one, the quickest way to get a bond with someone is to uh, plan a team or, or have a goal. And, and again, it goes, like, you know, against someone else or against something else, whether it's against cancer. A common or, enemy. Yeah, like a common enemy. And, and hopefully maybe that common enemy isn't another group of human beings because then you go into this whole violent thing. Uh, it's like <laughs> Hunger Games 2.0 or something. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, how do you, how do you help people get to accept and appreciate the differences and to celebrate them, but at the same time, make people feel more comfortable by showing you, oh, here are the things that we have in common. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, a common enemy like cancer or something yeah, that, I mean, that everyone wants to kill. Yeah, and, and I would say like just one last thing that I think is, is is a new one for me is also having the uncomfortable conversations, right? So you can come in and be like, 
I'm the only Jewish person here. Right. And then like, oh shoot, really? Are you, you know, like, like have the, have, have that conversation and talk about the elephant that's in the room because best believe whoever that lone person is, they feel it it like deflates the tension. I feel like when you do that, it's like, there's this elephant in the room sort of, and if no one says it, it just, the tension lives there. I've experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost putting like a pin in that tension balloon when you bring it up. It is, it is. It really, and I think it helps because if it, if we don't do that, you know, in that balloon, um, we may lose that person and not only lose that person, but we lose their network of people who could have come after them. Right. So, I mean, there are many companies that I've, I've got, I've, I've actually interviewed and they they gave me an offer. And of course I called the black network and I'm like, Hey, what do you think of this company? Like, how do you like it there? And (laughs) I picture like, just, you have a phone. That's the black (laughs) and you just push it. Yeah, like, what? hey, <laughs> hey, Obama. No, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't know Obama, but it would be great if I did. Um, like, Michelle, girl, did you uh, hear about this company? But I mean, people talk, and so you know places to not go, and you know, like, people not to work with. So you want to try to to build and recruit as much as you can by talking about those differences. No, I like that as a, as a method to be more comfortable, which is just to bring it up to people because it may, people may be feeling awkward if they're singling someone out. If they're like, Hey, by the way, Sean, you're the only black person here. Like that may be, it's a weird (laughs) thing to say possibly. Right. But maybe if someone is feeling it like, Hey, by the way, like I'm the, but, but you're saying maybe for companies to say, Hey, so-and-so you're the only you know, a black person here, like, how can we help? How can we make me feel more comfortable? Is that, um, that con- hard conversation will be good on, on either side of the equation. Yeah, and, you know, it's, and it's kind of funny because, you know, we're all individuals, right? I happen to have a very extroverted personality and, you know, I tend to be, to use humor and things like that, but you may end up with someone who's maybe a little bit more private or doesn't want that. So it's, it's just, I call it read the room, right? Um, and like there, there's sometimes where if there's something going on, you know, figure, reach out to that person, you know? I mean, because there's a, there, you know, one of the other um, things that's really interesting, especially in biotech, is you have a lot of, um, a, a, lot of a lot of Asian folks, a lot of Filipinos specifically in, in biotech. And you're like, oh yeah, great. Look at this, it's super diverse. But then you look, and I've talked to some of my, my friends who fit into a certain category. They're like, yeah, but how many Filipinos do you see in executive management? It's like, they're all scientists, right? So how do you break that barrier and, and, and make sure that they're also having a, a seat yeah. at the table, right? There's these so, level of barriers. There's just so many like little layers. And, and to be honest, I mean, you just don't notice them, right? Like, you don't always notice all the barriers that other people are going through unless you ask them. So interesting. Um, Should I have one last uh, question I'd love for you to talk about before we do, I'd like to point people towards chimera.bio, which is C H I M E R a dot B I O check out more episodes of the podcast, check out sweet process. Um, And last question. I love to hear about partnerships. You helped, um, come out with partnerships and mm-hmm. your recommendations for for forming these partnerships and what you did in that in that realm. Okay, and so tell me again how. Yeah, how pa- I- what did you do as far as partner you know, uh, solidifying and creating more partnerships for Chimera? Yeah, I mean, 
the the I think the the genesis of it is is getting our tools out uh, to companies that I think may have some problems that we can solve. And what I found is once we go out there and put together these collaborations or partnerships, those lead us to uh, additional bigger uh, partnerships, and then also help us with our financing and investing. So. Like right now, we haven't uh, publicly disclosed uh, any of the partnerships that we're working with, but they're definitely one keeping the lights on as <laughs> we raise more money. Um, but they are also helping us um, validate our technology, and and they're also giving us credibility in the cell and gene therapy uh, field with with other CAR T companies. Yeah, everyone. Thank you, first of all. Everyone check out Chimera.bio. I mean, their advisory board alone and their whole team is, I mean, I was looking at some of the advisory, we're like, whoa, we're, we have the, you know, the bioengineering at Stanford and UPenn yeah. and, and UCSF and all these, you know, UCLA and including the team. So check out what they're doing there. Check out more episodes. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of you know, the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. That's my